James Galbray, thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge Business School podcast series today. We're here at, at King's College at a new economics conference. Tell me a little bit about what's in your paper. Well, for, oh, 15 years now, I have been working with a research group at the University of Texas at Austin on the problem of measuring economic inequality around the world uh, on an annual basis for most countries, um, filling in gaps, in effect, in data sets which were really very imperfect, very difficult to work with. And what we have found, and what I will talk about, is that there is a common pattern in the movement of economic inequality, which corresponds very closely to the dominant financial events, to the major uh, transitions in financial regime of the last several generations. Uh, In particular, uh, with the collapse of Bretton Woods in the early 1970s, inequality around the world tended to decline as a result of the commodities boom of that period. With the debt crisis of the early 1980s, it rose, and it rose steadily almost everywhere in the world, with a few important exceptions for 20 years. There was another turning point in around 2001, and a modest decline in inequality after that. So what we're finding with a common global pattern really lays the basis for thinking about uh, economic developments at the level of the planet as a whole, at the level of the entire world. And and this is useful because uh, much of the world is, in fact, financially integrated and therefore strongly affected by changes in the in the, in, the, in the financial climate, and you can expect the effects of the financial crisis of the last two years to be felt in data that will, uh, that will be collected from uh, eventually. Now, it must be very new to be able to look at a global world in terms of global economics. What were the exceptions uh, to that inequality rule? The exceptions to rising inequality in the 1980s were very straightforwardly uh, India and China. Uh, And they were – the reasons are not hard to understand. Both of those countries were substantially isolated from uh, the the rush to commercial bank financing of development of the previous decade. China had been completely autarkic until the reforms of the 1970s and, of course, it never – late 1970s and, and of course, it never – Uh, went into external debt. As a result of that, it was in a financial position to begin growing just at the time that the rest of the uh, world economy was entering a sustained crisis. And uh, much of the world that we live in today is a product of that historical coincidence uh, that China's growth uh, and opening to the world occurred at a moment that was really very propitious from, from the Chinese point of view. Now, we've already heard from the conference that people talk about the conference. Some say they don't know what caused it. They don't know uh, what gave rise to the remedy for it either. But they are talking about the crisis. crisis. People people are talking about going back into growth now, even for the Western economies, even uh, for Britain. Do you agree with that synopsis? I think it is premature uh, to uh, treat the crisis as over. Uh, There certainly has been a stabilization of activity, especially in the United States. And we know that that is because of the, uh, if you like, intrinsically Keynesian uh, institutions of the uh, 
American economy, the fact that the government spends more and that takes in less in taxes and runs very large deficits uh, in an event when an event like this occurs. And that means that the fall in output and employment is much greater than the fall in income and uh, ultimately in activity. So we are seeing the stabilization as a result of that, but we have not seen a stabilization of home prices. We've not seen a a return of the financial sector to lending for ordinary economic activity, and I don't think we're going to see those things uh, anytime very soon. So it's it's really premature, and I think entirely wrong-headed, to think of the economy as returning now uh, to its previously normal condition. Uh, there will there are still major major challenges, and I think in fact an entirely new direction uh, for economic activity for economic expansion has to be set and established largely by public policy, but with basically public policy setting the framework for public and private activity uh, before we will see a return to high employment in the United States. Uh, Europe, for that matter, of course, is still in, uh, and in fact, moving, it seems, into a deepening crisis. Uh, And so I see no reason to expect that with deflationary policies being imposed on the European periphery uh, by Germany and France, uh, that we will be seeing uh, a return to growth in the European region anytime soon. So it's going to be the emerging markets because of this debt crisis and because they're not in debt that that are going to be the winners. Well, I won't say they would be the winners because they uh, uh, have a strong dependence on the markets of the advanced countries, uh, but they are affected less. Latin America was not as affected uh, by the crisis as uh, the United States and Europe were, and China was able to uh, uh, reorganize economic activity uh, much more rapidly than uh, most other countries if one trusts the uh, Chinese economic statistics, which is always a question. So are we inevitably going to see a global world where the rich become richer and the poor poorer? No, I don't think that's inevitable. Uh, and in fact, I think the Chinese experience is a, um, a striking example of a poor country which has uh, um, greatly uh, improved its income levels and living standards in over 30 years. Uh, but uh, it's a model of um, purpose-driven uh, 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 activity and, and uh, successful organization that brought that about. Okay. And um, in in terms of that market-driven organization, a lot of people are laying blame at the markets. Indeed, you know, did the theory of markets within economics let us down? You talked about uh, macroeconomics, but but do you think we can talk about blame and economists? Economists bear a very heavy professional responsibility here. This is a, a profession which has gone through a generation of what I will call intellectual negligence and malpractice, uh, and which there has been a systematic uh, simplification of the profession, a systematic exclusion of alternative viewpoints, in which Keynes, uh, in particular, since we're here at King's College, Cambridge, it's important to mention, has become a marginal figure whom nobody reads and nobody understands. Uh, and uh, in which it's become very, very difficult to pursue a career uh, in which you have uh, a, uh, uh, a, a critical perspective on the institutions of advanced financial capitalism, as a result of which the profession was completely complacent in advance of the crisis uh, and uh, was completely unprepared uh, to deal with it. 
This is a true intellectual crisis, and the reason we're here at this conference is that there is a, a, a clear recognition of that on the part of a great many people uh, who've been involved in economics over the years. Now, I know you have to go, but just finally, you talked about the solution being in social policy and with social policy makers, so that must mean that economists, uh, global governments, organizations that span the globe too, like the IMF, uh, must give a lead to resolving uh, the crisis to make sure we don't go into another dip? I have no confidence in any of those institutions, to be honest with you. I think that the uh, uh, the, the pressure for action here will come from the citizenry of the world, if it comes from anywhere, it will come from civil society. It will come, for example, from Greece, where people say we're not going to accept having our country ground into dust in order to pay uh, the debts demanded by um, by by the Germans and the French. That's, uh, it seems to me it is there that we can look for some hope for pressure to move uh, things in a positive direction. So, so we are if you like, not out of the woods yet. And, and we need to tread very carefully in terms of not putting ourselves back through into another crisis. I think that's entirely right, yes. But I think treading carefully uh, is not sufficient. Uh, we, need to, we need to be asking for, indeed demanding, a much more um, imaginative and bold approach to dealing with the problems that have emerged and become to the surface in the last couple of years. And can economics supply that approach? Has it been treated too much as a science and not enough as an art? Uh, well, academic econ economists uh, will not supply th that approach, but uh, if th there is a sufficient call for it, there might be a few people who will emerge who can make a try at it. James Goldbraith, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge uh, Business School podcast series today at the new Economic Thinking uh, Conference. Thank you.